The German New Medicine Podcast is intended for educational purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice. Hello and welcome to the German New Medicine Podcast. This is episode three and I'm your host, Dr. Melissa Sell. Today on the episode, I wanted to go into detail about the second biological law. In the first episode of the podcast, I went into detail about the first biological law, which as a reminder, the first biological law is the iron rule of cancer. And that is what Dr. Hammer discovered that every cancer or cancer-like disease originates with a conflict shock, a DHS, a Durkheimer syndrome, which is a highly acute, dramatic, isolating, something that catches you off guard, some type of shock. And that shock is experienced simultaneously at the level of the psyche, so your mind that interprets the event itself. There's an impact in the brain, and then there are adaptations on the organ level. The content of the conflict, so depending on what it was that happened, determined the location of the brain that's affected as well as the location of the organ that is being adapted. And so we have to keep that in mind throughout everything we're learning about GNM because this is the foundation. The first biological law is that there's always a conflict and it's always affecting the mind, the psyche of the individual, the brain, and then an area of the organ. So moving into today and talking about the second biological law, this is an absolutely amazing and profound discovery made by Dr. Hammer, which had not been recognized in medicine before. So medicine before would recognize diseases, look at the symptoms, and loosely can classify a disease as a cold disease or a warm disease. And so this is basic presentation of the patient comes in, and certain conditions, the person tends to be more cold. So their hands and feet are cold, their skin is cold, they are in a state of stress, they're losing weight, they can't gain weight, they're having difficulty falling asleep, maybe suffering from insomnia. So a few examples of that would be uh, multiple sclerosis, cancer, diabetes, different mental and mood disorders. And so medicine says, okay, well, this is in the classification of a cold disease. And then the warm disease are the people that come in and they're inflamed, they are red, rheumatic, maybe they've got an infection or some type of allergic response, they are swollen, they are red, and these are considered the warm diseases. But what Dr. Hammer found was that's not the full story, that's not totally correct, and that cold and warm diseases were not just isolated individual events, but actually they were different parts of a two-phase process. And so that's what I want to talk about today is the law of two phases and the biological chart that Dr. Hammer has drawn out that describes what's happening in the nervous system when the body is experiencing a biological special program. So in order to talk about this, we need to talk about the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, so the area of your body that's under automatic control, that's right now beating your heart, digesting your food, processing everything. The body typically is in a normal homeostatic rhythm of shifting between the sympathetic 
nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. Most people are familiar, at least a little bit, with these two uh, functions of the nervous system. So the sympathetic is considered the fight and flight. This is what's needed, what's activated when you are running away from a predator, when you have to hunt after food. And then there is the parasympathetic. And so the parasympathetic system is also called the rest and digest or feed and breed because its primary activity is what the body is doing while at rest. After eating, it includes, you know, digestion, salivation, um, sexual arousal, all of that happens when the body is in this resting state. And now typically we have a normal day-night rhythm. And so during the day, the body is more sympathetic active or in a state of sympathicotonia. And then around 5 p.m., if you've got a normal day-night rhythm, a normal homeostasis, you move into vagotonia or parasympathetic dominance. And this is just how normal rhythm goes in the body, active during the day, at rest during the night. However, when there is a DHS, when you have that conflict shock, immediately, again, based on the first biological law, we know that you've perceived it with your mind, your psyche has been impacted. At that moment, there is that critical moment where it Basically, the, the, the button's been pressed, the, flip, the switch has been flipped, and now we have gotten to that point where the biological program has been set into motion. Again, the body, the mind has made a decision about exactly which area the brain is impacted, which tissues are going to be adapted based on the content of the conflict, whether it was a startling separation, someone suddenly was hurt or injured, you got a phone call, a comment was made to you, someone did or said something or didn't do or didn't say something at a critical moment and you were caught off guard. You had that moment of shock, of being taken aback, and your body immediately, automatically sets off the biological program. And in that moment, at that moment of the DHS, your body shifts from a state of the normal day-night rhythm to a state of prolonged sympathicotonia, of sympathetic activity. Because again, that is the fight or flight, even as little as it could have been. It could have been someone saying an unexpected mean comment to you on Facebook. Still in that moment, your body got the message that we need to adapt. And adaptation is taken care of by the sympathetic nervous system. And so that becomes active, more active. Now, the period of prolonged sympathetic dominance, there are some telltale symptoms that you are in a state of sympathetic dominance. There, your hands tend to be cold. Your feet tend to be cold. You may get shivers. People are familiar with the faster heartbeat, the higher blood pressure, feeling nervous, kind of eyes darting around, restless, can't focus, less hungry, or you just can't eat at all, having trouble sleeping, or you'll fall asleep and you'll just wake up and be up for hours at night, you're compulsively thinking. And the reason that your body keeps you up at night is because, again, think about this in biological terms, think about this in terms of your ancient ancestors, you know, sleeping wasn't your priority if you're in a state of fight or flight. If your body thinks there is a danger, an imminent threat going on, 
it doesn't want you to sleep. It wants you to figure out whatever you need to figure out and resolve whatever you need to resolve so that the body can get back to its normal rhythm. And so keeping in mind that that is what is going on for every moment that you are conflict active. And so that is, this is the first phase, conflict active phase. And so this is one of the important things for a person to identify. Am I experiencing a conflict? For the most part though, a lot of people will be completely unaware that they are in conflict activity. In this for the most part, there aren't any symptoms when you're in, co- in the conflict active phase. There are some conditions that there are symptoms. One of them is angina that will happen during the conflict active phase. That means you actively have something going on and you're feeling the tissue effects during conflict activity. Most symptoms don't show up until the healing phase. So just to be aware that a lot of times you just won't know unless you're really tuned into your body and you're really highly aware, ooh, my hands got a little cold there. My, my heartbeat is faster than it should be. I'm feeling a little nervous. That heightened sense of body awareness and being tuned into yourself and your experience is very powerful when it comes to knowing the five biological laws, um, understanding prevention, understanding your own experience is really being tuned into that. So just be aware that during conflict activity, there are signs and symptoms, but you won't necessarily be experiencing severe issues with your organs. It's kind of like an overall sensation because again, your body it's just, it's in prepared mode. It's in fight or flight mode. It doesn't have time to, you know, to deal with any other issues going on. It's in conflict. So the next step here along the path of the normal law of two phases is conflict resolution. And so there's something called a hanging conflict. And so this is a person that doesn't get to conflict resolution where their conflict is continual it has gone on and on and on for many years that's a hanging conflict and so there are things to be expected if a person's been in hanging conflict that means that their body is not in the healing mode that their body has not been getting that restoration that it needs and there are some conflicts that cannot be resolved This is a topic all on its own, and I will cover it in a future podcast, but just be aware that there are some conflicts that will not be resolved. They are ongoing, but for the most part, for most people, most situations, there is a conflict resolution that can take place. This is called conflictolysis. If you look at the actual chart of the second biological law, this is labeled as CL, conflictolysis. And that's conflict resolution. And so this is the turning point of the biological special program. This is where you have resolved the conflict. And so conflict resolution can take many different forms. And Dr. Hammer says that always the the best resolution is the natural resolution. So if you, you know, if your conflict came as a result of a miscarriage, becoming pregnant again would be the natural resolution to that conflict. Something actual, actually coming back into your, if you lost someone or something and that was your conflict, bringing that person, that thing back would be the natural resolution. Now, it's obviously 
we can't always have a natural resolution. And so in that case, that's where the mental shifts, the emotional release, forgiveness. That's why forgiveness is so profound for so many different types of healers promote forgiveness because if you are in a state of unforgiveness, if that's holding you in that conflict active mode, forgiveness may be the thing that helps you to resolve the conflict. Um, Adopting a new perspective, a new understanding of yourself, a new understanding of the people around you, shifting priorities and seeing a bigger picture, seeing a new view of the world. All of these things can help you to resolve your conflict. And so this is very important. And this is a big part of the work that I do with people is one awareness of your conflict and then have you truly resolve the conflict yet. Now, a lot of people, they do resolve the conflict to some extent and they they will transition into the healing phase, but then they relapse back into the conflict especially when they lack awareness of it. And so if you're not aware of this process, if you're not aware of the two phases, if you're not aware of your emotional experience and how that's influencing tissue adaptations, it's very easy to knowingly or unknowingly allow yourself to kind of get worked up again about a previous conflict that you've experienced. And so the goal is to become aware Become aware of the conflict, make that shift, make that emotional shift, resolve the conflict so that your body gets the message, so that your subconscious mind gets the message, okay, all is well, we are safe, we can heal now. And so during conflict activity, we've got tissues changing, we're in that state of fight or flight, now we've resolved the conflict and we've moved on to the first half of healing. And so I like to think about, again, the that normal day-night rhythm. It's like a pendulum swinging back and forth, just like the sun rises and the sun sets. That's like our body. We're sympathetic during the day and we're vagotonic during the night. We've got that normal day-night rhythm. Now, the moment that you've had the conflict, your body, the pendulum got stuck in the sympathetic mode. And it's been there for however long And the length of time, the intensity of the conflict determines how much tissue has been adapted. And that also determines how long the healing phase is going to take. And so when you move from conflict activity to healing, the pendulum is swinging all the way back the other direction for a period of prolonged parasympathetic dominance. And this is called PCLA. So PCL stands for post conflictolysis that's after the conflict's been resolved, phase A, because there are two phases. Now that you're in this phase, this is the warm phase. This is where you've got warm hands, warm feet, feverish. This is where night sweats occur. The night sweats are a very important part of old brain controlled tissues. We've got fatigue, you're exhausted, you're in pain because whenever there's swelling, there's pressure and that's producing pain. You've got exudate, so there's, it's, you have to think of the site of the organ that was involved as a construction site. And so if there were tissues built up, we've got to break tissues down. If there was tissue lost, we've got to rebuild that tissue. And so there's a lot of stuff that goes on, a lot of tissue particles that need to be moved from places. And so that's where we've got phlegm, we've got coughing, we've got things that are oozing because that's just part of this healing process. 
person typically is eating again, they're gaining weight again, you know, their pulse is lower, they've got lower blood pressure, they're just exhausted, they can't get out of bed, they've got fever, inflammation, all kinds of fluid. And so this is a sign that you're in the first half of the healing phase. Now, this is an important time to, again, allow your body to heal. So you've resolved the conflict and you're, you know, you're, you're emotionally in a state of relief that you've resolved that conflict, but now a lot of people resist being, quote, sick, because this is typically when you feel what we call sick. You're just exhausted, you're coughing, blowing your nose, maybe you're throwing up, you've got all sorts of symptoms going on, and acceptance of the symptoms is very important for allowing everything to take place. Because if you start getting worried about the symptoms themselves, that's when you start having additional conflicts on top of conflicts because you're you're scared or nervous or worried about the fact that you're experiencing symptoms. But when you understand this is the law of two phases, I'm in the healing phase, you know, my, my tissues were adapted and this is just a logical consequence. This is what has to happen in order for me to get back to my normal state. Um, so that's just a, a good thing to remember when you're in this state is that the body knows what it's doing, it's got a plan, and relaxing and getting through this is very important. Getting through it and getting to this next point. So this next point is an amazing, again, discovery of Dr. Hammer, and this is called the epileptoid or the epileptic crisis. And so the way to think of this is, again, you've got that pendulum that swung all the way in the direction of parasympathetic swelling. And so only so much swelling can fit into an area. And so when you reach the point of maximum swelling, maximum tissue repair, maximum fluid in the area, the body undergoes a sympathetic stress push. And so this is like the big squeeze. This is like having the baby, you know, so we've got to squeeze and push out the edema. And so what this is going to serve to do is start getting the pendulum back to that normal rhythm. And so this is the height of the healing phase, and it manifests differently depending on the specific biological program. And so there are symptoms that are associated with the epileptoid or epileptic crisis, and they can be potentially life-threatening, especially for the uh, cerebral cortex controlled biological special programs. So there, it's just really interesting to know the connections here. So epileptic seizures, that is a sign of the epileptoid crisis. Migraine attacks, heart attacks, stroke, coughing fits, diarrhea, chills, nosebleeds, just overwhelmed with nervousness. So a lot of times people in a very short span of time, in a sense, relive that initial conflict that happened. It, it gets relived in a, you know, in a moment and you go through a few difficult hours. Now that's where understanding um, and working with a practitioner is important to be aware if you've got a certain type of conflict that could have a potentially serious epileptoid crisis. And so this is where I look forward to the integration of, you know, our modern medical system, understanding an epileptoid crisis, of being able to predict and prepare for it. And so there are ways of knowing if a person may need some type of medical support during their epileptoid crisis in order to get through it with ease and without multiple complications. And so 
Again, this is all about awareness. This is all about understanding how the body works, being aware that there may be some type of event, but at the same time, not being scared of that event. Because I've even seen um, with some people reading some articles of mine kind of feeling nervous or feeling kind of apprehension of, oh no, could I be one of those people that has a really bad epileptoid crisis? And even that fear, what is that fear and panic going to do? That fear and panic puts you back into conflict active mode. And that is something we do want to avoid is reactivating that conflict or a different one. Um, And so with ease and with comfort, you know, investigate and know that the body's got a plan for this and that there are ways of knowing. And so that's just something that I definitely wanted to put out there that um, it's not something to be scared of or freak out about, but just to be aware, hmm, there are some conditions that the epileptoid crisis can be very intense. But at the same time, knowing about it, knowing different ways, um, you know, there are people that have been going, actually having a heart attack, but there were things that they did during that time to mitigate the effects of it and they were able to survive it. And then they also were aware that it was going to happen. And so that preparation, that mental preparation, allowed them to get through it without having severe consequences, thankfully. So a time that this may happen is at a time of rest. And so many people will experience their epileptoid crisis in the early hours of the morning when they've been at like that deepest part of sleep. They've been the most relaxed possible. A lot of times people will have these epileptoid crises when they are on vacation, when they're just in a very relaxed at ease state because again the body got to that point that deepest point of relaxation and then it had the surge of conflict activity Um, the extent of the epileptoid crisis is determined by the extent of the conflict so how intense was the conflict to begin with how long did it last that all plays into what happens during the epileptoid crisis And then there is the second half of the healing phase. So this is after turning the corner where there's still tissue changes, still um, repairs being made. There's scarification. You're still in that relaxed mode. You kind of haven't got all your energy back. You're still warm. You know, you maybe have lost some water weight because that squeeze, when you lose all of that edema, you might, you know, be able to fit your rings on better. You lose a couple of pounds. You're feeling a lot better. And so that is the second half of the healing phase. PCLB is what it's called. You'll see on the charts. And so being aware that the body has a plan that every biological special program, it's got two phases. It's got a phase A, it's got a phase B, there's the epileptoid crisis, there is a knowable, understandable, predictable. Dr. Hammer has found between all of the different points on the psyche, the brain, and the organ, the different points along the conflict course, that there are 126 identifiable points that you can specifically look for and know what exactly is going on. And so that's where it's a beautiful thing that I truly hope that this becomes the primary way that everyone understands the body. Because the the work that Dr. Hammer has done was amazing. And just think what we could do if we had medical research going into learning about what the body is doing from this amazing new perspective. And I do truly hope that medicine opens its eyes, opens its heart, and, you know, closes its ears to 
the pharmaceutical company and realizes that there are so many things that we can do within this model and it's not that there would never ever be a use for a surgery, not that there would ever never be a use for certain pharmaceuticals, because I'm sure they could come in handy in helping support what the body is doing. But that's what we need to be doing is support the phases of the body, not going against what the body is trying to do. When you understand it, when you work with it, we will see so many lives saved, so many fewer lives lost in in what is truly a normal process. This is just the normal way the body works. It's not a, a mess up. It's not a mistake. It's not a problem. It's that the body's doing what it's supposed to do and that when you understand it, you're able to navigate it which with much more wisdom and with many fewer fatalities. So I hope that you found this helpful. If you have any questions, if you're curious to learn more, please feel free to contact me on my website or on my Facebook page. And I look forward to bringing you even more of this wonderful new medicine in our next episode.